So a, a number of years ago, um, when my older son was, uh, was uh, I think he was around 10. Now he's 13 and he's taller than me. Uh, but then he was quite a bit smaller. And, um, and he and his friends used to play handball all the time. It was like a thing in our neighborhood. Uh, they played it at school. They played it in the neighborhood. They just played handball. Uh, and I didn't grow up playing handball. It wasn't, not, but I watched them sometimes, and, and it was impressive. And so then one day I was out on the street with some with people, and, um, and, and Toby, my son, was playing handball with his friend uh, Coltrane, who was, was eight, I think, a couple years younger than him. And they said, hey, do you want to play? So I said, sure, yeah, I'll play. I figured, I'll go easy on them. <laughs> you know, they're kids. So I got in there and just, uh, I, I don't know how to play handball. They were killing me. <laughs> you know? uh, and for all my meditative experience, I'm extremely competitive. <laughs> so I started to really go for it. <laughs> And, uh, and it, it wasn't going well, you know, I was really like trying to whack the ball and it would go off the side and, uh, and the harder I tried, kind of the worse I fared uh, until at one point Coltrane kind of stopped and he looked at me and he says, Will, he said, stop trying so hard. You're just making things worse. <laughs> He was right. Yeah. Uh, and this is a, I'm not just telling the story. <laughs> There's a metaphor here. <laughs> right? Any of you sometimes feel like that? Like you're just swinging? Yeah. It looks like you're not doing much, but internally, right? And it gets tiring, and, and sometimes it makes, makes things worse. There's a funny thing about anything that we're doing or learning, try, you know, that there's a sort of a developmental process around learning anything. Um, you know, I did have the thought after that game, I'm going to practice this, and I'm going to go back, and I'm going <laughs> to... Little window into my mind. But I saw it, you know, so luckily I saved myself from having to spend hours against the wall, you know. Uh, I could go on to do other things like teach meditation, you know. Um, But in anything that we're learning, there's a process, you know. At at first, it's not smooth. Uh, And maybe for some time, it's not smooth or sort of. Anything you're learning is like this, you know, and even taking something that's so kind of second nature to most of us, many of us now, like, like driving. When you first learn how to drive, it is anything but second nature. Isn't that true? Do any of you remember that process? Especially if it was a, a, you know, stick shift. I mean, it's, 
kind of, or if you've taught anyone how to drive, it is not intuitive. Right? You, you have to do it in like a place where there's nobody else, right? like a parking lot. And there's just so much going on at once. There's the gas and the clutch and the brake. You have two feet and three pedals. Right? <laughs> that alone. And then you've got this thing on the side, and it's supposed to coordinate. And, and it is... I mean, to, to develop that kind of touch on the gas and no one to let off on the clutch, that's a subtlety, isn't it? First it's like, boom! Right? And meditating can feel like that for quite a while. Right? Uh, you know, go! And then, uh. But it's, the amazing thing about driving is if you, if you do it a fair amount, you know, and, and many of us drive daily. Yeah, it's just like integrated at part of your life. You know, over time, right, aren't you now driving and weaving in and out of traffic and talking on the phone and <laughs> shaving and eating lunch and drinking coffee and texting? No, you're not doing that. You're not texting, right? But you don't even think about it. It becomes second nature. But it, it, it happens out of practicing it. We don't think of it as practicing. We just think of it as driving. But it's practicing. Anything you do a lot becomes integrated. And you can drive in very complex conditions, right? And do other things at the same time. It's scary and amazing. It's scary when you commute you know, over the Bay Bridge and you do see people shaving and you know, uh, reading. I see people reading. That's, that's amazing to me. Like, they have their iPad and they're like... In... Yeah, but... So in, in a way I like to use this, bring up this example because it takes meditating and, and practicing awareness out of the realm of some kind of, you know, like sort of... Other, like it's some kind of other category, like some kind of esoteric, mystical thing that you... How does it develop? Well, you know, if the Buddha blesses you, and, you know, do I have the right... You know, If you think about it in this kind of... It is, in a way, like anything else. Yeah? And there's a process. And so it's important to have a sense of process so that you can kind of uh, let yourself be in a process and not have to... Uh, be like an expert already, you know, because you went to a couple of retreats. Like if in anything else you wouldn't, if you went to a couple of driving retreats, you know, where you only drove for like seven days and then you never drove any other time, then you came back and you drove again, you wouldn't be as good at driving as you are, right? Uh, or basketball, you know, you don't go to a couple... People do go to a couple of retreats and be like, I think I could teach this, you know, but you don't go to a couple of basketball camps and be like, I think I should play in the NBA, you know. <laughs> it's like, no, it's like it develops out of practicing and cultivating, just like anything else. So that, this way we can have a kind of a longer view or a more relaxed view or a more... Not that teaching is the NBA, it's really not, you know. <laughs> so I, I realized as I said that, it kind of elevated it to something that... That was a, that was that was a, a, a bit overstated, uh, but you, you get the point. Um, 
So like anything, yeah, we're practicing this. And it's something, you know, it's sort of new, even if you've been practicing for a long time, compared to everything else you do and know, it's probably relatively new. Yeah? It's like, yeah, in the span of your lifetime, it's relatively new. There are a lot of things you've been cultivating since childhood, and this is something we're kind of learning to cultivate. It's something so different than a lot of what we've cultivated. I mean, we cultivate... We're, we're really good uh, at doing certain kinds of things because we're trained at that. You know, we're trained at manipulating our environment. We're trained at uh, controlling things and getting things done. Right? We're trained at certain kinds of effort making. And, and meditative practice requires actually a different kind of effort than we may be used to. That's the topic of my talk tonight, effort. Just in case you were trying to piece it together. What? <laughs> so effort, and then I'm gonna also supposed to talk, supposed to, I'm gonna talk about the, the, the three characteristics. And if you don't know what those are, you can kind of wonder about it until I get there. In the, uh, but we're cultivating something really new, really different, really unusual in our you know, in our world. Part of what's unusual about it is, and sort of paradoxical in a weird way, is how do you get to where you already are? How far do you have to go? Or in other words, say, what's the, dif- what's the distance between here and here? Well, there's, n- there's no distance at all. And, and yet, it doesn't feel, it feels like there's a distance, often. And so we make a kind of effort to get to where we're supposed to be in meditating, and which is here. So often that involves a little like extra. Because we're kind of like, uh, feels like we're traveling, doesn't it? Like we have to, I gotta get back to meditating because I'm like in Hawaii in my mind, literally. I'm in a Hawaii fantasy, or I'm with my family in wherever they reside. Yeah, and it's, you know, we're having dinner. And, and I gotta get, oh, oh yeah, I'm meditating, I gotta get back. And we're doing this kind of weird sort of location travel and time travel, we go way into the future, we go way into the past. And then we kind of experience, sometimes I think of it as like, 
almost like jet lag, you know, when you fly across the country and you kind of feel like you kind of left part of yourself. You didn't, it takes a little while to like arrive totally. As long as it feels like that, it's like, wait a minute. But the amazing thing about this is, is, and you all know this, I think, on some level, you don't go anywhere. Right? Sometimes I wish we could have like a split camera that like filmed the actual thing that's happening, like you're sitting there, and then another camera that filmed where you go in your mind. <laughs> because wouldn't that be kind of cool looking? It would be impossible to do, but... It's like there's so much going on, but nothing is happening. <laughs> you know, and nothing. Like, you know, there are very few signs of that. <laughs> you know, so all you have to do to get back, getting back's the wrong term. You can't get back, you're here already. You just have to remember wait a minute, I'm here. Right? I'm not, this is, and, and part of that happens from seeing what's here. Oh, here is my house. Here is work. There's my boss. Here is, I'm just saying here is. Never thought of that before, but yeah. Here is, here it is. It's happening. And you can look around, see, wow. But it's all happening right here. Yeah. This whole future that you're worried about, it doesn't exist anywhere except in your mind as a thought. It seems so real. It's out there ahead of me, right? It's right in front of you. It's, it's, but it's not. It only is as a thought. And it's amazing how compelling that is. Even just like the better meditator version of you is just a couple days ahead of you, isn't it? Isn't that what you're holding out for? It's coming. I know it. There I am. Cushion cruising. And it's ahead of you in time. No, it's ahead of you in imagination. Not in time. And it's amazing how much that varies what future lies ahead of you, how much it depends on what you happen to be experiencing right now, right? Whether it's like a tragedy future or like a, you know, fantasy success future. A lot of it depends on like whether you happen to be having like a little bit of a pleasant feeling while you're meditating (laughs) or the mind's a little concentrated. It doesn't even have to be much, right? It's a little concentrated. Uh, Yeah. I'm going to be, yeah, whatever. So, so the distance to get back is no distance. So it doesn't require effort in the normal way. That kind of like, the effort to travel through time. or It's not that, it's just, hmm. So it's like a subtler movement than we're used to, like the driving. It's become subtle. Another story is, I got all these stories about my kids, because I don't know, maybe I learn a lot from them, uh, is uh, at one point a friend of mine who was really into kites got me a kite, a stunt kite. And um, 
Don't people always get you things that they're really into? <laughs> That's an aside, but... Uh, uh, I'm trying not to go down that aside. Uh, but anyway, got the stunt kite. And you know what a stunt kite is? It has these two strings, and you pull on it, and it can kind of dive, and you can do tricks with it. It can turn around, spin around. And, uh, and again, when my older son was younger, I thought, oh, it'd be really cool to take this down to the Berkeley Marina and, and fly it. And, and, and it was really interesting process to watch him learn how to fly this thing because it, it's very um, responsive. You pull on it a little and it goes. And so he, you know, kids are learning how to use their bodies anyway, right? They're just, you know, so he'd pull on it and it'd go like, you know? And then we'd redo, and he'd pull it, and he'd, be, I'd get it up, and he'd be like, you know, and, and he'd try to make it go left, and it would go, you know, and, and it was, and, and I watched him struggle with it, but he was into it, you know, and he sort of, and then at one point, I kind of, he sort of paused as he was holding it, and he did something really interesting. He laid down, and he lay down, and when he was laying down, he could kind of do these subtle uh, pull on the kite. It was like he, he couldn't quite do less when he was standing up. He had to lay down and, and then he could. Uh, and, and in a way, it's like we're kind of learning how to do less, but in a kind of very wakeful way, yeah? a, with subtlety and kind of how do we be with what's here? Yeah? How do we be here? How do we be aware of being here, I should say? And then how do we, in the first days of the retreat, just remember that again and again. Remember, hey, I'd be here with this breath. So as we're practicing a little bit, it starts out, you know, and I I use this metaphor frequently, it starts out that we're kind of like 98% in our virtual worlds in time travel and just living in the world of, our, of the world, worlds as we think them, or the world as we think it, as we imagine it, as we remember it, as we uh, concoct it in fantasy, whether it's a pleasant or an unpleasant fantasy. And as we remember to be present, as we remember that we are present, I keep having to, again and again, ooh, and then we say, oh, again and again, this starts to develop a little uh, momentum, just like learning anything, a little momentum of awareness of being here, or I should say awareness in being here. It gets steadier, this awareness in being here. And we start uh, living a little less in this, the percentages start to shift, and there's a little more here. And then we start, as it gets a little steadier here, we then start to notice this happening, yeah? How future is created, how past arises as a memory in the mind, yeah? We can start to notice how, you know, thoughts arise and give rise to feelings in the body, and we're saying, oh, the feelings, yeah? We can start to see this here because we are here. This is the power of what you might call sustaining attention, but you could also call it just uh, being here. Because what we realize as we... Uh, dwell here is that actually even the idea of sustaining is not quite accurate. It's just here. You know, the awareness kind of reveals itself to just be the field in which 
as which experience is arising. Past, future, manifestations in the present, outer, we call outer, inner, just arising here in awareness. So this is one thing, remembering, oh, and we've been doing that over and over again, right? Noticing the mind go into, and then, oh yeah, here I am breathing, thinking. That's one dimension. And then also we're learning how to be with what's here. That's another process. If it was just easy to be here, we'd all be present all the time. Right? I mean, if we're already here, why wouldn't we just be aware in that? I think a lot of it's because it's actually kind of hard to be here. There's a lot of stuff that happens here that, uh, you know, especially at other times in our lives, we weren't necessarily equipped to be with. So we had to kind of learn how to go off into uh, the world as we imagine it. Sometimes it was a better world that we imagined, or at least a more tolerable world than the world we happen to be inhabiting, especially as, as with young psyches. Yeah. And now we're sort of like equipped, we're adults and we're in training, we're practicing this capacity to be, and so we can actually start to be and to meet all of these aspects of our own experience as they arise. You're ready to do this, that's why you're here. But it does take some uh, constancy, some uh, remembering again and again, and some learning how to be with the various things that arise here. That's an effort that is required the effort to, to be in the learning process around, how do, I, how do I be with pain, physical pain? Well, first I fight against it. And that's part of the process. I get to fight against it and see how that goes. And as you sit, you realize you're just getting tired and frustrated, and it's not working anyway. And so then something starts to soften a little, and, and it's, it's at times, until, you know, and then it, for some moment maybe you kind of like relax around the struggle, and there's a few moments of just sensation, which is painful, but it also has an okayness in it, and you start to realize something, oh, hmm, that's, that's interesting. A number of you have been reporting this kind of thing. It's not some, prof- it's not, you know, it, but it's very, that's a, a, a huge thing to notice. You know, or you're just, even in, around the process of being here, it's sort of, so it's, oh, Will's talking about it like it's so easy. But even the process of trying to get somewhere is useful. You know, when you're trying to get somewhere, we're trying to get where we're not, which paradoxically is not what we're practicing. We're trying to practice being here. So then you might think, well, I'm wasting my time trying to get somewhere. But actually, I don't think you're wasting your time. Uh, you know, if you know anybody or live with anybody who wears glasses, I know you, or if you wear glasses, you had this experience of looking for your glasses or seeing somebody look for their glasses, and they're looking all over the place, and uh, and you see them. You see the glasses, yeah, because they're up here. Or occasionally, and this is really weird, they're here. That's that's the funnier version. Right here. Uh, but actually the process of looking is not a waste because if you're alone and you're looking for your glasses, you look everywhere, you might get to a point where you think, I've looked everywhere. Where could they be? 
And then some part of you says, right? Oh. So, so actually, even this whole process of trying to get somewhere is useful because you, you tire yourself out, don't you? Isn't it tiring? Trying to make it different than it is? It's exhaust- I, I've tried a lot of this. I have, I'm, I'm well-versed in trying to get somewhere. It's exhausting. And, uh, and it's really useful to see it. it and the meditation is like designed for you to fail at that. That's the good news. You're supposed to fail at that. You are. Because, you know, and, and I remember, it, maybe, I think it was my first retreat, I remember it would be like I was focusing so hard, I was really kind of pumped about meditating. Kind of like the handball thing. And I was really concentrating. And it felt to me like I was kind of like, you know, I'd like build this thing. You know, it would like make it steady. Like, like, and I work really hard to be present, like, come back, you know. That's the way it was for me. Come back, you know. And, it would, you know, and I'd get it to some point, like something, and then I would get more and more frustrated at some point. And I would work it up into trying, and then at some point it would all fall apart, this thing I was constructing. And there would be stillness. It would just, I'd fail. It would and there would be stillness. And then I'd say, I'm going to go with that. I've got to keep this going. You know? And then it would build up this thing, like holding on to the stillness. You know? That is not a strategy for success, you may have discovered. Yeah. And it would go for a while, and then it'd just get too tiring. And it would fall apart. And then, you know, this was like somewhere entering into my psyche. Oh. So that was not wasted effort. I'm very grateful for all that trying. Uh, Because something collapses over time. Something internal, actually, around that falls apart. And, And you can't do it anymore in the same kind of way. And then what do you discover? You discover you're here. And as we practice being here, as we practice with all these states that arise, so we just talked about bodily sensations, but um, also learning how to be with all these states that Nikki was talking about this morning, you know, sl- the sleepiness, restlessness, doubt, you know, uh, states of aversion, of wanting, states of peace and joy, all these things we're learning how to be with. <coughs> Even states of calm we don't know how to be with. Have any of you noticed that? You know, it gets quiet for a minute and... And then you think, oh, this is what I've been waiting for. And then you just start thinking about it. You know? <laughs> we, just, we don't even know how to hang out in calm. Right? Uh, and with all these states that arise, again, we're making a kind of effort, which is what I would call conventional effort. It's not the kind of effort we need or are cultivating for Dharma, although it's useful in the way of trying, building up and it falling apart. An example of this is we experience sleepiness. And you're not supposed to be experiencing sleepiness here, even though the teachers say it's okay. Because you're here to wake up, right? Isn't that why you're here? You're not here to sleep. You know? Didn't you hear the word sloth and torpor? 
That's not what we want. That doesn't sound good. So there's an effort made to wake up, to wake up sleepiness. And that is hard. Have you tried? That's so frustrating. You know, you're doing, you're doing the, uh, you know, the wailing wall thing. The do- you're davening, you know, you're, and, uh, and you're fighting it. You're trying to wake up. It gets very frustrating. That's conventional effort. That's, it, we're not understanding something about the nature of awareness when we're doing that. It's okay, because that's how we learn about the nature of awareness. So the instructions are, as, when sleeping, you know, aside, of course you can stand up and do all these things, but open your eyes. But how about getting interested in sleepiness? How about letting sleepiness be sleepy and watching it? Mm-hmm. That is interesting. That brings interest and investigation. When we do that, we can let sleepiness get as sleepy as it wants to get. And there's something awake. But it's not, sleepiness hasn't woken up. Awareness is aware. Awareness is awake. Even when sleepiness is present. Awareness knows sleepiness. You can watch yourself fall asleep. That really messes up this whole duality we're often in. What? What? What was? Wait. I was asleep, but I saw that. So which one? What was? <laughs> what was that? We get curious. The same is true for uh, any state. You know, it's like we have fear, and what's our what's our normal mode? We try to turn fear into courage, right? That's a lot of work. I'm afraid, and now I try to talk myself into being brave. You've done this many times. You can do it again. You know, there's nothing to be afraid of. Right? When people do this to you, it doesn't work anyway, right? Does it? Yeah. Sometimes it does a little bit. Yeah. You can. And so we try to get rid of fear and to get bravery or courage. Uh, but we're practicing a different move. It's a different move. It's what can I let fear be afraid? When you can let fear be afraid fully. There's something present in the midst of it. And that something is not afraid. It's not a thing. Whatever that is not afraid. Fear is, the fear is still afraid though. So the effort we're often making is, and this is what you might call the effort that tires you out that tires us out, the frustrating effort, is the effort to turn sleepiness into wakefulness, to turn fear into courage, to turn uh, sadness into non-sadness, to turn restlessness into calm. It's so useful. I, I so value the time I've spent sitting with restlessness because we are acting out of that restless feeling all the time in our lives. The inability to tolerate it drives us to do all kinds of things. And when you can be with restlessness, and this is a practice, you're not supposed to be able to be with it right away. As you can be with restlessness and let it be as restless as it wants to be, you, you realize it's totally okay. And there's somehow there's non restlessness in the midst of it, but the restlessness is still here. Grief is like this. When you're resisting grief, you get all jumbled, right? It bounces you around. When you can let yourself grieve fully, you notice there's awareness in the midst of it. 
and it's totally okay in the midst of grieving. This is useful to see. It's even useful just to hear about because it's a pointer. You know, we're always in the realm of opposites, trying to get from one to the other. That's our conventional mode. And the Dharma, the nature of your own heart, your own mind, your own awareness, transcends opposites. It transcends opposites. It holds both and is neither, is bound by neither. Um, so the good news about this is practice is a lot simpler. Um, and we, it's, it, we have such a deeply programmed thing in us that it's supposed to be different than the way it is, even if we've heard the teachings a thousand times. And this is why we could use hearing the teachings a thousand and four times. Yeah? Because we have such a deeply programmed thing that whatever it is I'm experiencing, it would just be better for my practice if it was a little different. Or if I had something else. You know, you're in a group interview and it's like, if I just had that person's hindrance, I could really do this. <laughs> it's the one that I have that like, prevents me from being on the path. You ever feel like an exile? Or you're here, you're here and everybody else is like on the path, but you're like, you've taken some weird detour and you're off. <laughs> That's in your mind. But I think a lot of people feel that way. Probably most people at some point. Yeah. And uh, uh, it's funny, when I went off on that path, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> I took a train. Uh, let's see, what, what am I saying? Um, uh, now I have to trace back. Why was I saying the train? The, oh yeah, because we think whatever it is that's happening, it's a deep inner bias. Even when we've heard the teachings a million times, that if it was just something else, it would be a little better or a little deeper or you'd really be practicing. So I want to read something that I read. I read it at almost every retreat because it is a really useful corrective. Um, and... It doesn't hurt that uh, it's in the Buddhist texts, the early Buddhist texts, and supposedly was said by the Buddha. That, that doesn't hurt. You still won't believe it. <laughs> but it's good to hear it again and again. Right? Some part of you will be like, yeah, but it's good to hear it from the... Uh, I'm not allowed to say the horse's mouth. That's too disrespectful. <laughs> from the Buddha's mouth, not the horse's mouth. Okay, this is from the, the Sutta on the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, the Discourse on the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, which is the, the discourse, the Buddha's discourse, out of which this whole practice, in a, in a way, a lot of this whole practice kind of comes. And this is on the, the, the section on contemplating mind. Um, and how bhikkhus, somebody explained already, bhikkhus means uh, monks, but in this case it means you. How bhikkhus does a bhikkhu abide contemplating mind as mind? Here, Bhikkhu understands mind affected by lust as mind affected by lust, and mind unaffected by lust as mind unaffected by lust. She understands mind affected by hate as mind affected by hate, and mind unaffected by hate as mind unaffected by hate. He understands mind affected by delusion as mind affected by delusion, and mind unaffected by delusion as mind unaffected by delusion. 
She understands contracted mind as contracted mind and distracted mind as distracted mind. He understands exalted mind as exalted mind and unexalted mind as unexalted mind. She understands surpassed mind as surpassed mind and unsurpassed mind as unsurpassed mind. He understands concentrated mind as concentrated mind and unconcentrated mind as unconcentrated mind. She understands liberated mind as liberated mind and unliberated mind as unliberated mind. Is that surprising? Those are instructions on how to practice. You know, I feel that a lot of folks have the idea you're not supposed to feel hate. This is a meditation retreat. You're not supposed to hate everybody. What's wrong with you? We're talking about loving kindness. Yeah? You're supposed to love everybody. It's not what. Right? And that the instruction there is so different. One understands the mind affected by hate as mind under- affected by hate. How do we sit with that when the mind is filled with anger? How do we sit with anger and let it be here? Not just know that we're angry, but to feel the state of anger. It's an energy in the body. How do we feel it, make space for it? Wow, that is very useful to cultivate. Because usually we feel a tiny bit of whatever that is, and we yell at somebody. Right? Because we, why? Because we can't tolerate even a little bit of that feeling. Because we don't know how. We haven't developed the capacity. The way to develop the capacity is by feeling it. Yeah, all those states that are not spiritual, those are states we need to learn how to be with. They're not not spiritual. It's just that's an inner bias we have. Because we think we're not supposed to be human beings in the human realm. But luckily, Buddha didn't have that idea. Yeah, mind affected by lust is mind affected by lust. How do we be with that? That's the practice. That's the work that we're doing. You know, it's not how, to, how do I turn lust into non-lust. That's called struggling. How do I turn scattered mind into concentrated mind? Have you tried that? That's that's hard. What is it to be with a scattered mind? Until awareness is big enough, awareness is uh, bigger than we can even imagine. It's infinite. Awareness uh, can hold scatteredness. Yeah, we always think, no, I got to focus. Awareness, awareness is holding everything that's happening right now. Everything you experience happens in awareness, doesn't it? In your awareness, right? That's how, I mean, it's, that's pretty vast. So, uh, you know, uh, you know and we've all try, we all try this again and again, and luckily we fail. That's, it's, that's the good news, we fail. We fail at turning uh, chaos into non-chaos when it's a state. Um, I, you know, you know, 
probably all of us have been doing this a while. We have tons, you know, many, many examples of just moments where we're fighting with something. I remember this state, total chaos, couldn't be mindful of anything. Couldn't find any way to land on anything. And, and then this little, you know, something inside says, this is total chaos. And then there's total peace in the midst of total chaos. That's weird. It's just trying to turn the chaos into something else where we'd end up. So this is, uh, this is what we're practicing in many ways. Is this making sense? Um, um. I'll just throw in another example. Sometimes I feel like throwing in lots of examples is useful because you get to hear a lot of different things, and some things register and some don't. And sometimes I feel like it's not useful, because maybe they all cancel each other out, and you're just left trying to think, like, what did he say? So at the risk of it all canceling out, hopefully. Uh, here's another way to think about it, and this is, uh, again, something, an, exa- an example, a metaphor that I, I, I use a lot, because I find it useful. Um, and it also came to me when I was with uh, my son, uh, and I was helping him uh, with his homework, and he was in fourth grade, and uh, he was doing fractions. And uh, there's a few people laughing and maybe remembering fractions or trying to teach your kids fractions or doing fractions. And um, I did not remember how to do fractions, and so I had to read the book. This is the way, you, as a parent, you help your kids with your homework, is you read the book ahead of them. And then you look like you know what you're doing, you know. Hold on just a second. Oh, this is how we do it. And, 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 and you know, and, and the hard thing about adding fractions, adding, that's what he was doing, adding and subtracting fractions. The hard thing about it, do you remember this part? Yeah. What you have to do, first you, yeah. Maybe you can do this if you're not a kid, but I don't know how to do it. First you have to find the common denominator. Isn't that right? If you, it's, Probably some people can add fractions without finding the common denominator, but I think it's really complicated. I can't do it, and definitely fourth graders can't do it. So if we're all like fourth graders when it comes to this stuff anyway, we're really just learning it. So yeah, you have to find the common denominator. Once you find the common denominator, it's very easy to add and subtract fractions, right? You just add the numerator. Four plus two, you got it, or four minus... And uh, as I was helping him with his homework, I had an insight about teaching. You know, we're always trying to figure out how to talk about awareness and effort and what the work of meditation is. And I realized this is a really good metaphor. Because in our practice, our work is to find the common denominator. The common denominator is always awareness. That is the common denominator of all our experience. And it is what we are working to do in meditation, is to, be, is to have awareness with what's arising. And of course, it's a kind of awareness that is stabilizing as we cultivate it. Mm-hmm. Awareness with, awareness of, awareness in. And at various times it may feel different, so it's a different language. If you have awareness in the denominator, 
It doesn't matter what's in the numerator. So just think of whatever you're experiencing as the numerator. Anytime, all the time. It's always the numerator. And your job is to just find the denominator. And awareness is always right here, so you don't have to look that far. So what's in the numerator? Well, it's called life, and as in it's all of its changing forms, moment to moment. And you see, don't you see, as you sit, how much it's changing? You know, without your doing anything particularly different, it's changing from moment to moment, from sitting to sitting, from walking to walking, from meal to meal. You're in heaven realms, you're in hell realms, you're a great meditator, you're a crappy meditator, you belong here, you found your true home, and you're, you're an alien, and you don't belong here, everybody else does, you hate everyone. And, and it's just, you know, it's changing from moment to moment, and this is really what we're here to be with. When we're here, we get to see this. Is happening all the time and we don't notice it. You know, we don't notice that our, our thoughts are changing from moment to moment. We don't notice that what, we, what is happening in the present moment, we identify with it from moment to moment and we build a sense of self out of it. And that sense of self, that sense of our future and our past, changes from moment to moment depending on what happens to be arising. That's really useful to see. You know, you build a sense of self out of feeling distracted. I'm, the, I'm so distracted. I suck at this. I don't belong here. And then you see your future in that moment, and it's a distracted future. You know, there's a diagnosis involved. You know, and there's you like not able to function in the world and definitely like leaving the meditative realm, you know, like, well, that was nice. I tried that and failed. It's a very particular future. And you also have a past. You look back and you say, you know what? I never really was able to get it together, probably because I'm so scattered. So you have a coherent past, present and future all based in the moment of... And you get to see, if you're paying attention, that, that five minutes later, you're with a couple of breaths. There's a little bit of calm. And you have a totally different identity in that moment. You know, you're good at this, you belong here, you're on your way to Buddhahood. You know, and the future looks so bright and spiritual, and, you know, you're definitely going to meet somebody here who... You will be spiritual with, you know, and all of your communication will be nonviolent and, and uh, enlightened. You'll talk about renunciation and maybe not renunciation. Right? Yeah. And, and, and then, yeah, and you think, well, it goes into the past too. Maybe I'm a reincarnated llama. You know, maybe I've actually been doing this for lifetimes. You got a nice coherent self, present, past, present, and future. Wow, isn't that good to see that arise? To live in that for a while. You're walking around, and everything you do is mindful. You know, and you're you're bowing to everything. Now I understand why people bow. 
And then, you know, and then later you get hungry and you're... And it's just a different thing, you know, and it's moment to moment. Our sense of self is changing and we don't even notice it usually. It's just, no, this is me. I'm always me. But it's a great thing about retreat to see this happen. It's not not supposed to happen. It's not the effort we're making. It's not the effort to not identify with anything. You know, I think the reason they let us teach is just because we've tried all the things <laughs> that don't work. So we know how to talk about it and identify it. Like, you know, trying not to identify with anything. You know? Yeah. That's frozen. <laughs> That's not the point. So, uh, so the point is to be present with everything that's arising, to watch the process of mind and body unfold from moment to moment. Then we learn about the nature of our own mind, our own body, the nature of phenomena. We see its impermanence. We see its selfless nature, how what's arising from moment to moment is arising due to conditions, many and most of which are, have nothing to do with you and your efforting and are beyond your control. You're not choosing the thoughts in your head. You're not choosing the sensations that arise. You're not choosing to have this or that emotion, right? Wouldn't you choose other things? I'd choose a lot of other things at various moments, yeah. Uh, the point is to see it, to see it as process unfolding, boom, 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 moment to moment. And then we learn, not on an intellectual level, which we're already pretty good at, we learn on a somatic level. We learn on a kind of a in-your-bones level, on a felt level about the nature of experience, then we can't cling in the same way. We can't build a sense of self out of momentary experience. In, we can't believe in it in the same way we usually do. You know, We invest in what we believe in, don't we? It's true with money, it's true with time, it's true with effort. We invest in what we believe in. And so we invest in these little senses of self all the time because we believe in them. You know? And then we're, we're in the kind of I'm worthless person and, we have to in, and then we have to make the effort to become a worthwhile person. That's a lot of effort, you know? You've got a long road ahead of you, maybe 20 years of personal cultivation, you know, doing good deeds and meritorious actions, then you can become worthy. Isn't it much more useful to see the process of becoming the unworthy one arise momentarily and watch it pass and watch something else arise? Boom, 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 boom what we think of as me, this fixed thing. It's not fixed, and yet you are here. You are not any one of these little identities. These identities are like, you know, I wish I, wish I had thought to bring this quote, but Buddha, uh, anyway, I can't remember it exactly, but, uh, you know, when, when, when somebody awakens in the text, it's to say, you know, a house builder, you have been seen. You know, you, you won't build a house any longer. This house of identity, house of self, sense of self we build, build over and over again out of momentary experience, out of a thought, out of a sensation, out of a feeling, out of a reaction, out of a mood. So uh, this is what we're here for, just to be here. When we're here, we can't help but see. As we see, we learn. As we learn, letting go happens all by itself. Letting go of our belief in these identities that we inhabit, it just starts to happen by itself. You don't have to do it. In fact, when I think of my own kind of process of kind of letting go of senses of self, I think I always 
maybe almost always let go unwillingly. It's not an act of will. It comes from failing at holding on. Failing at, try, at building a kind of a, you know, once you build a sense of self, you have to protect it, you have to defend it. It's so much work, you know, build a sense of self out of even what your profession. Even that's not a reliable thing, you know. I'm a teacher, I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer. Yeah, sometimes. But I know, you know, many of us probably who teach anything know, yeah, you're a teacher and then you come home. If you're in teacher mode, you're in trouble. <laughs> hey, what's this? <laughs> you know, build a sense of identity out of it. So anyway, this is seeing impermanence. It's seeing selfless nature. Uh, and we experience dukkha, you know, uh, unsatisfactoriness. We see how unsatisfactory it is to, to put all your eggs in any of these baskets, to try to, you know, uh, stake your claim on any momentary phenomena and build your identity out of it. It's unsatisfactory and it, it leads to a sense of unf- unfulfillment and you fail at it anyway. Right? So as we stop building, you know, as we stop investing so much in that, there's just a natural sort of spaciousness that emerges, a sense of like uh, flexibility and being, a kind of, you know, not kind of being located, not having to defend as much, sort of openness. But you may not even notice it. You know, am I getting more spacious? Don't worry about it. It is happening naturally. Just from being here and remembering to be here and practicing being with what is here right now. That's what we're practicing. And even though conditions are selfless, we can still act. And in fact, when we see the selfless nature of causes and conditions, we can act much more clearly and skillfully and with a much more balanced kind of effort. Because it's matter of fact. It's not so personal. Yeah. Uh, uh, and a metaphor for this is if you see a you know, say you're w- walking around and there's been a drought and you see a tree and that tree is looking very, it has no leaves, it's looking very parched and it's dying. Sometimes it's good to look to nature because we have an intuitive wisdom when it comes to nature. You don't say to that tree or to yourself, that's a sorry excuse for a tree. You know, what a pathetic tree. If that tree would just work a little harder... You know, and just pull a little more moisture out of that bare soil. You'd make something of yourself, tree. You know, and then you'd really be a tree. You don't do that because you understand, no, this is, a tree is part of nature. It's, 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 it's a part of causes and conditions unfolding. It doesn't mean you're helpless in relation to the tree. If you care about the tree, you can shade it. You could water it. You could fertilize it. You could protect it. You know, you could, and, and then, you know, maybe the tree would recover. It wouldn't be, but you wouldn't be desperately kind of trying to, you'd be one thing at a time because you understand intuitively that things arise due to conditions. And as we see that is true in our own heart and mind and body, then we can cultivate, uh, we can work in the realm of causes and conditions in a more matter-of-fact way. And you're already doing that just by being here. You are greatly affecting the conditions of your life just by choosing to be present for a moment here and doing that again and again. You're you're putting a huge, you know, uh, 
that is shifting the conditions of your life in tremendous ways. And just, uh, yeah, but again, it's just sort of one thing at a time. So hopefully, uh, you get at least the main takeaways. You're already here, and so is everything you need to attend to. You don't need to go somewhere else to do the practice. In fact, uh, if you do, you can just notice the going somewhere. The curriculum that you need to attend to is arising in the present, moment to moment. You don't need to write the curriculum much as you would like to. And as my first teacher said, uh, your life is the curriculum. Are you signed up for the course? So let's sit for a moment or two. As we see into the nature of uh, life unfolding from moment to moment, as we see the uh, impermanent nature, the selfless nature, the insubstantial nature of momentary experience, as we open to life in its infinite forms, moment to moment. We gradually relax into that which we already are, which includes everything. And because of this, there can be freedom here and now in the midst of life as it is. Thank you. Uh, we have a walking period now. <laughs> 